Hi there, I'm Dave Levine. I'm the host of the Sports Stories podcast and I'm delighted to have you with me for episode 43. Now, before we get into the details of today's show, I'd just like to put out a massive thank you to both my previous guests, you the listener, and all those people that are involved in producing the podcast. This is a special time of year as it's our first anniversary and the feedback over the last couple of weeks or so has been absolutely amazing and making it all all the more worthwhile to keep the podcast going, providing you, the listeners, and the guests opportunity to share their story and learn from them. Now, today is a really special time, given that I've got a guest I don't know very well, never met before, but I feel like I've got a connection with him. Sam Parfit is my guest, and he's the CEO and founder of the True Athlete Project. Sam previously was a a performance tennis player as well, and has played tennis both in the US and in England and, and around the world. Sam is a really special bloke in terms of the work that he's doing in really moving forward the development of uh, athletes, uh, both at grassroots and performance level, through the True Athlete Project. Now, without me giving too much away, Sam has a real special approach and he's uh, connected in with the Muhammad Ali Center in the US and is really on a journey to make a difference through sport. And why that really resonates with me is that it's properly aligned to the work that we're doing through Sports Stories and wanting to make a difference, albeit small or large, through sport to the communities around the world. So without further ado, uh, I'll just ask you to sit back, enjoy, listen to the podcast in the best way you can. I'm pretty sure Sam will give away some real great gems and insights and provide inspiration for you uh, to make a real difference to your life and those around you through the vehicle of sport, whether you're in sport, whether you're leaving sport or you just like using the principles of it. So all it leaves me to do is wish a very, very warm welcome to my very special guest, CEO and founder of the True Athlete Project, Mr. Sam Parfit. Well, Sam, welcome to the Sports Stories podcast. Uh, thanks ever so much for giving up the time and joining me here today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. You know, I'm conscious of some of the work you do as the CEO and founder of the True Athlete Project, but uh, I'm really keen to find out a little bit more at some stage, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, b- before we go there, though, you know, it'd be great just to hear a little bit about, um, you know, you introducing yourself uh, to, to the listeners, but also now how did you first get involved in sport? Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Um, thanks so much for the opportunity, Dave. So, um, yeah, I was from uh, from Norfolk originally, um, and uh, my dad was uh, my tennis coach. So grew up with a sort of racket in my hand from very early on and would be hitting hitting balls against the wall late at night and through the day and annoying the neighbors. And um, so that was really my sort of first introduction into sport. And remember being completely hooked from an early age, um, would come down early and watch Transworld Sport in the mornings. And um, yeah, so just loved everything about the the idea of being an athlete, the idea of growing through sport. And, um, and actually quite quickly, I sort of had these ideas about kind of where it could take me and, and actually the difference that um, I might be able to make uh, through sport. I was really, really inspired by um, that feeling of, for want of a maybe less spiritual term, sort of transcendence through sport, that liberating, joyful, freeing sort of escape when you're just completely in the moment. Um, and I would remember, so my dad would come and visit on a, on a Sunday and um, we'd play tennis in the evening, kind of growing up. And I remember that feeling of, um, you know, there'd be about 10 or 15 minutes left at the end of the session and sort of suddenly like Sunday evening sort of dinner and then Monday school was around the corner and that like it was sort of like a someone throwing cold water on you this sort of <laughs> sudden shock of realizing that you were completely gone in that moment of 
of playing playing tennis for me. Um, so yeah, I think that's where it all started. Yeah. And, and, and what what sort of age was that, Sam? You know, how old were you? What what can you remember back to? Um, so I can remember hitting tennis balls against the wall really young, sort of first few years of primary school. Um, I remember that it was the Corda Rios Australian Open final where, so that was like 97 or 98 maybe. So I was seven or eight years old. Um, and I, so every Australian Open, uh, I would want to get up at about 2 a.m. to watch the final. That was when the final was played at about 2 a.m. UK time. And I wouldn't set an alarm, but I'd make myself be able to wake up and I was able to wake up exactly the right time and I would go downstairs and it was kind of my yearly tradition um so that was yeah I was pretty hooked by by seven or eight for sure but played competition sort of started competitions quite late compared to a lot of people more like 12 or 13 really um yeah so it was in in some ways was a bit of a, a late developer I had to do a bit of catching up um you know there were lots of sort of county and regional and national squads kind of happening before I was at that point and um and actually really sort of enjoyed that enjoyed that chase and um really proving to myself and others that I could be persistent and uh, maximize my talent I guess and um was it just tennis from day dot or other things around that I uh, really liked football as a kid um liked playing snooker and pool usually because you're at a tennis you know in a clubhouse or something during a tournament um at school I really liked athletics and really enjoyed uh, triple jump particularly and loved watching Jonathan Edwards and would have I think if I'd have had a sort of redo I would have tried to take triple jump a little bit further um rowing and triple jump were the two that I've never really you know got into in any serious way and um but would have loved to wow um tell me a little bit more about you kind of family set up then in your background you say you know obviously your dad was your coach you know how, how did he impact on you and what sort of role did he play as a coach yeah, I think um those sessions were just so sort of special really um I think fundamentally it was just so much fun to realize that you can kind of work the ball around the court and um sort of uh, jockey with tease the opponent sort of thing and um I remember uh being probably quite young and it, he would hit a kick serve a top spin sort of second serve and I remember this sort of enormously difficult thing sort of flying over my head with all this <laughs> movement and speed and sort of basically being knocked over and sort of now obviously it would be like at my knee height I could just walk stroll in and knock it away but I remember that sort of idea of just oh my god that's that's such a cool thing to be able to do that sort of mind-body connection of you know, deciding you want to do something and then making it happen and feeling that unleashing. Um, so I think there was something quite pure about it. But my dad was also really, really um, into the sort of more mental, emotional, more holistic side of okay. um, of sport. So he would often come out with sort of Zen prover proverbs uh, oh, wow. in the middle of you know teaching me something new on the serve or. Um, or ideas around, I remember a really powerful one was um, I was working on sort of short put away forehands. So you've got a lot of time on the ball and it's quite easy to rush and it's quite easy to get a little tight on that and for the arm to kind of tense up and slow down. And um, so the, the idea we used was to imagine time slowing down. And from just immediately, the very first time I tried it, 
it worked and it was literally like time was slowing down like I was seeing everything so clearly so slowly and then able to put away these um forehand putaways is what we would call them but um sort of short high forehands and so that just things like that that just started to pique my interest of okay there's there's more to being human and there's more to being an athlete than you might get from a typical like 9am to 3pm school education where everything felt I think I felt pretty locked in in school generally I was looking back at some old like class books and things and I think I must have been a nightmare for teachers really um I think I had a lot of like pent-up frustration yeah yeah so I guess sport was yeah, a natural remedy for that too <laughs> gosh you know and, and it just sounds like it was this was more than tennis though wasn't it as well it was this is about you ex- exploring and growing and developing and that concept of you know making time stand still how do you do that how did that kind of come to light because I just think that's you know such a fascinating concept to bring in alongside sport mm. yeah I mean at that time I think it was literally like my dad said give it a go and I gave it a go and it and it worked <laughs> so I wasn't particularly skillful about it probably um initially I yeah I think it was very much um you know being creative and using your imagination we did a lot around kind of visualization and using imagery and pretend targets like you know to get a lob in a perfect place imagining a hot air balloon way above your opponent and that kind of stuff so I guess a lot of it was sort of trial and error and realizing that stuff works is nice because then there's you know sort of positive feedback loop you um which then helps you to be even more open to creative ideas so a lot of um so my dad was very much into um, sort of ignoring necessarily the sort of boundaries of the court. And I think I've passed that on in my coaching um, and it really worked. I had, a, I was coaching with Matt Rolanda a couple of years ago and he did exactly the same thing. So that sort of gave me a little, little pep in my steps. Like, okay, that's, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, so, the right track here. <laughs> yeah. So turning to the, you know, turning to the side netting and, and, practicing really kind of over exaggerating movements and and not just being confined by needing to make every shot and be consistent and be a sort of a little precise machine early on just a much more kind of creative um explorative way of sort of doing things um, and, and some i appreciate you know we're interested in your journey but i'm also curious here about you know was your dad was your dad a coach is that what's was that his his um his kind of occupation and his career or was he something else that led in because I'm curious you know how how do parents bring in to their kind of um into their life and how does that pass on to their children as such and I'm just curious as to the role he Mm. played and where it came from yeah interesting um so he was a tennis player really high level tennis player um and then became a coach and um very much I think a a big part of what so inspires me um by him is not getting sucked into the the sort of political stuff in the sport that so many people do um and now that I'm sort of with the traffic project moving in these elite sport circles and across lots and lots of different sports it's so plain to see just how kind of politicized a lot of it is um and he's always been so grounded in the process of helping someone enjoy, improve at, 
and therefore enjoy and therefore improve at their sport and what that brings to someone. And so I think that was a, um, a big bit of it. Uh, so I think, yeah, his, his lack of um, needing to get any kind of sort of personal ego kick out of yeah. being a certain, I don't know, recognized in a certain way or whatever. I think that's been quite, quite powerful for me. Yeah. And really passed um, on to you, it sounds, in terms of actually your philosophy. Now, you know, I'm here to help people get better, you know, not to get involved in all the, the stuff around that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and to really do it for um, for themselves and out of hopefully quite sort of pure reasons. Um, yeah, there's a lot that can get in the way, I think, of sport being something that is impactful. Um, either for an individual or at the level of sort of culture and society. Um, so although a lot of people talk about this power of sport, this inherent power of sport and the universal language of sport and what it can do, and that's true, but uh, it's not true if, um, you know, if, if things get in the way and if there are uh, sort of forces that can counteract that and, and give people a really harmful experience that actually has really harmful knock-on effects to yeah. culture and society. And that happens so often, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, it could be impactful positively or negatively because yeah. of the power of sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You mentioned there about the the Zen proverbs, you know, and I'm just thinking, wow, that's kind of an interesting concept which often doesn't sit alongside sport in many people's worlds. And I'm just curious as to you know, when did you really start um, acknowledging that sort of uh, impact from your father? You know, what sort of age were you at, and how did that sort of really start becoming part of you and your journey? Mm. um yeah because it was quite I suppose it was quite sort of felt and I was receiving what he was giving for, yeah. for a, a sort of early age um so I moved to London um to play full-time tennis at 15 16 and then to the states at 18 um to play division one college tennis and in those four years in the states competing I had all sorts of surgeries so it was a real roller coaster uh, basically in and out of hospital the entire sort of four years and so it's a physical roller coaster but also a mental emotional roller coaster um and so I left sport really feeling this uh, sort of paradox of the joy of sport on the one hand and then the really harmful kind of destructive bit on the other hand um and so fortunately I had quite a lot of opportunities to um sort of explore sport not from a selfish sort of competitive point of view, but really kind of exploring it in different settings. So I did a lot of work with at-risk Hispanic immigrant children with soccer and um, inclusive sport. Um, my first job out of college was as a head of sport at a school. Um, my academic work started focusing on sport and the construction of national identity. I just at the same time, kind of as having all those surgeries, was introduced to a mindfulness teacher called Young and his teacher actually as well, Kitasaro um in Chattanooga in Tennessee and at the same time I was kind of seeing a sports psychologist and so all these themes started to converge a little bit for me um but that was really the the first sort of formal opening to mindfulness meditation and I felt the effects for me very very quickly and although I wasn't really um competing anymore I was still kind of hitting and coaching and um could immediately see how helpful the practices that was so helpful for my well-being could also be so helpful for for performance um so i think that's where it really sort of started and then i got this job as a, a head of sport at a school 
Um, and they, they really didn't have a PE program. So I had a sort of um, blank slate really to, to create something that really tried to shift perceptions of what it means to be an athlete at quite a young age and design something from scratch. So we introduced things like parkour and mindfulness and sports poetry and studying sport for peace, uh, introducing international sports like cricket um, and studying heroes like Muhammad Ali. And it just, um, it just worked so well. It was clearly kind of making a difference and people liked it. And so I thought, oh, okay, hang on, there's something. Did it just evolve then, Sam, this kind of thing? Did it just organically evolve? Or did, was there kind of a, a real, actually, we know this is going to work and we need to put it in place? Um, it was a bit of, a bit of both. Um, I enjoyed I enjoy kind of research anyway, and okay. I was um, in touch with quite a lot of different academics and different disciplines. And so there was, yeah, a little bit of, of both and, and it sort of gradually built, but it was in terms of then kind of layering on that evidence to what will work and what will be fun for kids in Tennessee, like that then was a pretty organic process of feeling things out and trying stuff and, and um yeah, bringing, I guess, bringing the school with me into this approach. They were very, very open and progressive, which was awesome. Um, yeah, and then that that curriculum got picked up by the Muhammad Ali Center in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and they invited me to come and present it. And that's really where I got a, a sense of um, how to sort of build that out into what is now the True Athlete Project. Wow. And I want to definitely come to the, the work you're doing with the Muhammad Ali Centre and the True Athlete Project. But I just, just to take you back into the, the kind of the highs and the lows that you went through, you know, you talked about all of the, uh, you know, being operated on a lot and a lot of surgery and the lows there and actually so many changes. You know, can you, can you talk us through a real um, specific example of, 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 you know, a really tough time that you had in that? And, and how did you manage yourself out of it? Because I'm just conscious of, you know, a lot of the listeners, you know, we all go on highs and lows, but often can take little tips or hints out of, you know, not to copy you, but actually they might think of a sense of actually this is how somebody might manage themselves out of it. Mm. Yeah, there were so many difficult moments in that period. Um, I mean, the, as you ask the question, the one that comes to mind for whatever reason, um, and I've started being a little better about just trusting, <laughs> trusting the gut and what emerges, um, was I was walking back from A&E. It was a really pretty grotty A&E. And um, it was like, I don't know, it was dark. It was sort of 5 or 6 a.m. or something. And I'd been through the night kind of there on my own and had whatever they were trying to do to my throat, um, trying to lance an abscess and different things. And just... I remember, I don't know, whatever it was hadn't worked. And I remember walking back, I remember the street and I could sort of just about make out where the tennis courts were. And it was so painful. I sort of went down into my knees and was just like holding my face. And it was just excruciating um, sort of holding my face and throat and just very sort of lost feeling, I guess. Um, and and but there were quite a few moments that were um like that in those four years but then there were also just these in, incredibly kind of uplifting moments and i wouldn't change anything really the four years were filled with um you know meeting amazing people and trying new things and i, I think that's probably the 
um, I guess the takeaway for me was being being quite open in my communication to people I was meeting was helpful. So I was able to make relationships quite well, build relationships quite well. Um, and, and that was helpful because you, I then had a sort of support network really that built over my time there. Um, because that that memory I just had was sort of quite early on, probably in the first okay. semester of the four years. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was quite key. I used to make make a pretty conscious effort to be open. I remember if I was struggling in a class, I would okay. go to a professor and and try to build a relationship so that I cared what they thought about me. So that then, <laughs> so that then I have <laughs> yeah. So I had more motivation to actually try hard in their class if I felt like. Uh, you know they they cared about me no but so, that's a, but I, I and i really like that kind of idea that you know that there was a, a conscious strategy there you know because I, I i guess for me throughout our careers and our lives you know what's conscious and what's not conscious in terms of the way we behave and i guess during our teenage years and so on lots of it is just evolving and we're working things out but it sounds like it was beginning to become much more conscious in terms of wow, I'm out here in a country, I'm pretty much on my own. It's quite a lonely place at times. I'm feeling lost. I've got to find some strategies to help me here. You know, and does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, And there's probably, yeah, I would probably have been helped at that time um, by being a little more intentional, a little, creating some more conscious strategies. Um, I did notice a shift of, so I, tennis was absolutely everything I cared about and loved and wanted to do and I did certainly notice a shift in my feelings towards it while I was training out there and there was a lot of like very sort of it was very serious very heavy um sort of culture of sport there and I definitely remember a sense of sort of realizing oh wait hang on this this is not quite right and I can be involved in you know, if I want to go to a psychology of religion class or uh, something else, and that means that I'm not hanging out with the team, like sort of giving myself permission to do that and be fine with that and not need to kind of stick to just the expectations that um, I guess I was kind of felt, I felt the pressure to, um, to lean into. So yeah, that, that was a bit of a shift. I think that can come across as maybe um, you know, a bit individualistic and, um, and I guess I'm a tennis player, so that would make sense. <laughs> but but it, but it also sounds for me as in, um, you know, maybe individualistic, but also something there about um, not needing to follow the crowd. And I, it, it might be the same thing here, but I guess there's something about, I, I was thinking that actually being solely focused on the tennis world might be quite narrowing, actually. And yet you had the the comfort to be able to challenge the system and actually break the mold a little bit and broaden. And, you know, that, that's also quite an interesting tension. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I remember being concerned, I guess, about what, what teammates would yeah. think. Um, but I also knew <laughs> like when we would play teams. So, so when you're a tennis player in the UK growing up, you are basically just an individual. There's not really team right. stuff. There's not a lot of high school sport that that you'd be involved with really if you were sort of taking it a bit more seriously and but then in the states in even individual sport athletes are pretty used to being part of teams there's team tennis and high school sports quite a big thing and then they're always thinking ahead to college sport and um 
So I found that a really hard shift, you know, suddenly doing a team warm up where you had to start with lunges. Like I've never started with lunges. Why don't? <laughs> why should we start? Why should I start with lunges? And with the team. <laughs> yeah, and with the team and their rhythm. And um, so I found that pretty difficult. And I remember sort of, I remember one match sort of looking at my a teammate who I didn't really get along with uh, playing his match. And I remember knowing the guy he was playing and just thinking to myself, I really wanted the other guy to win. Like at any sort of moral level, the right thing was for the other person to win. And I remember sort of, yeah, reflecting on that, like, hang on a minute, that's probably, that's, that's not quite right, but that's what it was. So somehow, how did you find that kind of transition? You know, just sticking with that point a little bit, because again, I think they, the idea of sport being an individual sport, you know, and I, again, we've had previous guests on who've been in the cricket world who are kind of parallel a little bit of cricket being a, an individual sport, but also yet a team sport. And I know it's not exactly the same or, or swimmers, you know, they're, they're individual sport, but they're also part of a team. And I'm just wondering, how did you manage that tension, given that you you I'm guessing you you think yourself as an individual person or you were brought up initially like that mm. yeah it was really it's been something that I've had to really learn especially kind of stepping through into the world of work and um being involved in all sorts of different projects that are naturally about teams Jeez. as opposed to you as an individual um I've had to really work hard on on making that adjustment and um knowing when to allow other people the space to to flourish versus when I'm useful in the conversation to contribute and um yeah that it's definitely been something that I think I still probably continue to to work on um and then, and on that vein, I guess is the you know the, the transition between the sport career that you had as a, a tennis player and um, through to you know as you transitioned into different projects and into work. What were some of the highlights or what some of the kind of key strengths that you feel you really learnt in tennis, which you are working with now that you're transitioning across and, and calling on? Yeah. Um, so I think trying new things so if you want to get better at your sport you've got to innovate and experiment and not worry about the result immediately so you might change something technically in your backhand and you know for six weeks it's not going to be very good and then eventually it'll be much better than it was originally um so i think that attitude of not really worrying if there's a bad day because it's all part of a bigger process um that's something that is quite sustaining for me I think um, and quite exciting keeps it quite fresh um persistence for sure so um I work quite long hours but really really enjoy it um so again it's it's sort of quite a sustaining thing um to be working on a project where you feel like you're having an impact and so I think just like dogged determination is is one bit um, that I've been able to kind of carry across. Um, the idea of being a CEO athlete is something I'm giving workshops on at the moment, but basically sort of the idea of creating a team around you and leveraging resources, um, I think is something which, uh, which I've learned to do. I mean, all of these things, I wish I'd have learned at like 14 instead of 24 and practice them now at 30 so um 
<laughs> yeah, it would have been would have been nice. But um, those are the things that are probably the key things that, that are coming up. There's a, the real parallel in terms of actually for me something about you know I'm I'm calling on the experiences that I wish I had had, and now I'm offering them back into into the system. You know, so you know I, I can see the kind of the, the using your own journey as a real um, catalyst here and and it, and a resource to to the work that you're doing and and is that quite intentional do you think is that what's driving you in the work you're doing yeah i think so so um i found a letter from which i never sent to my high school head teacher i had written it when i was about 14 or 15 about 14 um and it was thanking him for letting me come out of school early to go to a like a norfolk tennis session and he actually unfortunately passed away, which means you won't get that letter. But I found this letter and it was all about, um, I didn't even realize that that's where my mind was until I found the letter, but it was all about imagining how sort of good I can become in the sport in order to have a platform. And I was mentioning Andre Agassi's um, uh, foundation and how cool it would be if I could have something like that eventually by, by becoming great at the sport and having a platform to make a difference. So it was quite young where I was thinking a little bit in that way. Um, Agassi was my idol, so my my first word before um, mum or dad apparently was oh, Agassi. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I was sort of thinking in that way, and then had this really negative experience in London, kind of before going to Tennessee. Had really poor um, mental health, particularly, and I'd written a I'd written a little book called Underground Hero, and it was all about how you can. Um, sort of use the ordinary opportunity to make a difference to the world and to others so it's all about um, traveling on the London underground and you would have is a little bit sort of gimmicky I guess but there was a real message underneath it you would collect points on your sort of journey to become this yeah. ultimate underground hero and it's a mixture of sort of physical challenges like standing on one leg while the tube comes to a stop and mental challenges and emotional challenges and um, you know smiling at the person next to you or um uh, yeah whatever it was so um again that was sort of i think some of the early themes of me just becoming quite conscious of um how dissatisfied i was with how some things were in the world and wanting to try to do something practical and tangible that would that would help people and that would make a difference um and i guess through those those later experiences through college and things that and then being introduced to mindfulness more you know, more seriously and developing a practice and going on retreats and uh, the, the whole thing built up and until the point of being able to create the true athlete project um which is a, a very intentional way of um uh, helping helping sport to to unleash its its power and its positive potential in society you know what, Sam, and as you're talking, the word, three sort of phrases that you used there really jumped out to me and they were kind of, um, you know, making a difference in the world, those kind of ideas. There's, there's something for me around entrepreneurism as well. You know, you, the, the fact that you've set up um, and generated a business, uh, you know, and th th there's not just making a difference in the world, but actually there's, um, there's things that are not quite right you know, and you've recognized that. And I'm just curious as to know, when did you realize that this was really in you and that you had, a, whether it was a plan, you use the word, it's intentional, but was this um, 
early days did you always know from an early age that you would probably want to you know you mentioned about setting up the foundation um and i'm just thinking you know again hearing your journey how do individuals listening in here think about actually you know there's something quite purposeful about what you're doing and how you're doing it and i know a lot of people at the minute are trying to work out their direction and what they do and who are they um and i'm just wondering how yours has panned out and you know what steps did you then take yeah um I think I've always been uh, sensitive, sensitive probably generally as a person, but sensitive to um, yeah, what's wrong in the world and where things can be made better, like not accepting the status quo and not accepting this sort of treadmill that we're often all on. Um, it can be really hard with all the sort of pressures of life and um, how things are sort of socially constructed, really hard to just break free from that and realize just how special and um, sacred really the, the everyday moment is, the ordinary moment is, um, and helping people to get the most from that. Um, I guess slightly born out of my sense that we have one existence to, <laughs> and we're incredibly lucky to be living. Um, I think that's probably the, the foundation of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I remember again in London, I. I um designed this this uh, charity that was uh, going to help people with multiple sclerosis my mom had ms and i remember having this little notepad and going around um uh doing sort of doing market research which wasn't really market research i didn't know what okay. i was doing but um doing i was something. trying i was trying yeah i was trying to do something i just designed this logo and was walking around people's houses and they probably thought what on earth is this kid doing um but so I guess, yeah, it was, it was in there. Um, and then being, um, I think it was just seeing so much. I mean, you, you, if you're attuned, if you're tuning into that, um, how people sort of locked into sort of typical ways of being, then, then you're seeing it all the time. That's quite difficult to see all the time if you are tuned into it, I think. Um, and then sort of through my experiences in sport and, and seeing other people in sport, my sister's experience of high school sport and, um, you know, elite sports stars in the media and, and even the kids I was helping at sort of a youth grassroots sport level, seeing the, the harm that was getting in the way of something that could be um, really fantastic and freeing was just, I guess, quite overwhelming. I remember sitting at the Muhammad Ali Center sort of seeing these, these different pres presentations um, of people who were in the sport for social change world kind of making a difference and, and having a really overwhelming feeling as I sat there not able to sort of start planning immediately um, and doing something about it and then driving home from Louisville to Chattanooga Tennessee and and just sort of bursting with ideas and um, so maybe it maybe it just reached, <laughs> reached a boiling, boiling point, point. <laughs> <laughs> God, amazing stuff. And I, I, you know what's really beginning to really drip through from every bit of your career and your stories, that kind of determination and persistence, but in a, I don't know, in a kind of a very quiet, subtle way. I'm also really playing with the tension between, you know, the, the this lovely idea, which I, I, I'm a little bit biased to this, but the idea of, you know, performance environments being very single-minded and individualistic and you know we will tread on anybody to get to where we want to be but actually using some of the the better elements of those qualities in social change and making a difference 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I take that first part as a huge compliment, the the quiet bit of um, trying to make a difference. I think it's so important that we embody change first, as opposed to just using a megaphone and trying to force other people to make a difference. Um, so that's where I see uh, social change efforts being effective, is by being the change, <laughs> for want of a less cliched phrase. But um, so I think, and that's why we use the butterfly as our logo as well for the triathlete project. So it's all about this kind of transformation of self first in order to then make this impact out onto the world. Um, and so I think that connects with, with your second point there around how the, the very same practices and training that can help you to be resilient and focused and bounce back from mistakes and self-compassionate and um, uh, sort of nuanced and subtle and how you focus your attention gently and in the right way rather than just kind of gritting your teeth and, and pushing through like all of that ability they're the same things that can lead to and that can help and support well-being but they're also things that can help you be kind of outward looking and um, sensitive to, to people's backgrounds and context and and how their behavior or their words is emerging out of a, a sort of infinite um, uh, antecedent um, and so really trying to sort of appreciate our role in the world and how we impact others I think those things are all so connected so that's that's really why the traffic project has these kind of three big strands performance well-being and social change and we don't think that those things need to be separate or add-ons or one and then the next it's not linear the whole thing um is is one so on the true athlete project there's some you know tell us a little bit more about what it is you're actually doing because you know i've become closer to it over the last you know few months or so i've begun to understand a little bit more but i'm sure to some of the listeners it will it will be a, a relatively new project or they've not heard of it so quite practically tell us a little bit more yeah um so I brought together this team actually sort of after this Muhammad Ali center forum I was involved with um, brought together a team that included um, the former UK health minister and uh, the first woman to defeat men in canoeing national history in the States and guy who pioneered wheelchair Tai Chi and mindfulness teachers, Olympians, Paralympians to really think about, okay, so we've got this uh, vision of the change we want to make. We see that performance, well-being, and social change are these things that we want to, um, to include as, part and parcel of what it is to be an athlete so what are the vehicles for that mission practically speaking yeah. how are we going to do it um so we uh part of deciding those vehicles was was this other sense of actually we want to be able to impact sport at all levels so not just the most elite sport but also grassroots sport where perhaps there's um the biggest sort of public and social um health benefit so we um we created a few different vehicles, a few different programs. So we have a global mentoring program. So that pairs uh, elite, you know, Olympians, Paralympians with young athletes, aspiring athletes. So the young athletes are 15 to 24 paired in this one-to-one -one nurturing year-long relationship. Um, the mentor receives all sorts of sort of holistic training and the pair go through five different themes for a year. Um, so they, touch on performance, uh, identity and values, mindfulness, community responsibility, nature and connectedness. Um, and they, of course, can, the mentees can bring up everything that's happening in their life as well. Um, but they sort of dive into these different topics in a really holistic year that's designed to broaden and deepen who we are as athletes. So that's one program. Um, and that now has 68 
athletes across 33 sports and 10 countries so that's growing um and we've actually created a couple of different mentoring programs off the back of that for at-risk youth and actually kind of within teams as well so we did one with British fencing that paired elite and junior fences together um, normally it's across sport and across country um, we have coach development workshops um, particularly helping coaches integrate things like mindfulness into their work um, and their lives um, we run classes for athletes like our six week in the zone mindfulness for athletes class and um, we had a retreat in costa rica wow. so we're hoping that uh <laughs> so that was a, a deeper deeper dive into sort of physical mental training um so we're hoping to run more of those in the future um and we work with national governing bodies to um package up quite a few different things and really work um in a very sort of bespoke tailored way to what their needs are and their challenges are and what their objectives are um to help them embed this compassion-based mindfulness-based approach to sport at a very practical sort of daily lived level so that includes working with leadership staff coaches volunteers parents athletes on the pathway the most elite athletes so they're really um, we're working with two organizations at the moment british fencing and basketball scotland um and we're hoping to uh, create two or three new partnerships with governing bodies in the in the months to come so that's a really exciting um step for us because it's it's really kind of exploring yeah how you do that at a, at a more um systemic level um rather than just at the level of the individual or the team um yeah so and and then we have some sort of special projects which maybe don't fit into those those categories that i mentioned of mentoring and classes and workshops and um so because a lot of what we do has this sort of golden thread running through it in terms of the philosophy and the approach and and mindfulness-based practices so actually it, it's quite flexible to to being able to adapt to different different needs and different contexts we work with a community sports center um in quite an in-depth way really trying to help their coaches to to integrate um uh, well-being practices um at the very kind of uh, grounded level of delivering basketball and yeah amazing stuff and you know as you're talking through that i'm kind of quite transfixed into hearing about the uh, the different projects and the impact that you're 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 moving to to try and make um and you know and it also really brilliantly aligns to kind of the philosophy of the sports stories part because again you know sharing stories swapping them across is truly underpinned with trying to provide education you know inspiration and, and transformation kind of stuff as well so it's just brilliantly aligned um, I don't know if this is an unfair question, Sam, but, you know, we've talked about being the change and, you know, the, the impact you wanted to make really practically. Is there a vision? You know, what would, you, where, what would it look like in your hope, desire for, um, you know, I don't know, five years or so, 10 years even? Do you? Yeah. Um, so I sometimes struggle with this question mm. and I was wondering why. And then someone asked it recently and I, I spoke quite sort of purely yeah, and yeah. it made me realize what I'm thinking about it. So we are really confident in the difference we make when we work with athletes, coaches, children, young people, um, the, the feedback we get, what we see in the room is because it, we're creating these kind of very deep sort of profound, quite emotional sort of spaces where people can be vulnerable and share and, and be their true selves that feedback is so sustaining um 
And so sometimes I put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of growth over five years and 10 years. And actually, I think what has been quite helpful over the last few weeks for me is just remembering that no matter how much we grow, we're making this positive impact at every stage. And that's really quite motivating. Um, so we sort of, it sounds like a really primitive answer at a sort of business level, but we sort of just want to do more of what we're doing um, and bring it to more people who need us as opposed to um, you know, at, at a business sense, being able to bring it to those who need us most who can't afford us um, and can't maybe typically access that type of support. So being able to create um, you know, a social enterprise approach and bring in funding so that we can actually um, get to and, and really see who who needs what we give most I think that's that's really important but so being able to to do more of it and to do more of it for for the people who need us is that might sound quite primitive but I think that's no. really what is my idea of um, being able to remain quite process oriented as well as we yeah. as we grow um, I've got a sort of vision in my head of at a very micro level of um, there's a bit in one of the Star Wars films where I think it's right at the end where a kid um, sort of sees this. I think it's like the I'll probably offend all Star Wars fans by just butchering <laughs> it, but it picks up some sort of talisman with a, I don't know if it's the rebel sort of right. symbol on it or something and sort of looks up to the galaxy and is, you can just, it's like you're seeing hope in this little yeah. kid and inspiration. And so I sort of have the same vision of what the tap butterfly can mean for uh, people particularly children and young people in future so if we could get to that's pretty vague but um if we can get to um and it, it might be something that we never even know you know that ripple yeah. effect that that goes out i was speaking to a coach the other day who said um you know right at the end of like a two-hour call yeah. said oh yeah and we've got um two or three of the kids you've been teaching mindfulness to have been uh, uh running mindfulness sessions for for their um teammates and younger kids at the club I was like oh cool you just dropped that in right at the end of the conversation like, that's that's a pretty big deal <laughs> that's yeah, awesome yeah wow it's, that, so, it's really yeah. rippling out and we don't know about it but yeah exactly great to know yeah exactly Oh, really powerful and I, you know I think I, I also love the idea of you know where you keep saying it sounds really primitive in a business sense or, or or is it just really simple you know and we're just trying to keep it simple and organic you know and I think there's something there's something quite um precious about actually keeping it uh, not too planned and actually organic and going where the need is you know and a, a very strong word that you probably didn't mention that was just resonated with me is, is kind of accessible as well which really kind of um struck through for for what you were saying and I guess on a parallel then Sam I just wondered if there's any difference in you know bringing the focus back to you um where do you see you mm. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I um, normally see me and tap as, as completely intertwined. intertwined. Okay. So, um, so it's nice to be able to reflect on that uh, separately. Yeah. So we we ha are a charity in the states, and we're also a, a, a company, and we're currently applying for charitable status in the UK. Yeah. Uh, my wife happens to be from the states as well. Okay. So in terms of um, life goals, being able to move and work freely between the two countries and therefore be able to um, be with her family, be with my family. That is kind of um, a big enough goal for it to be 
uh, one of the only <laughs> only things I think about in terms of future planning, to be honest, because mm. um, it's it's not easy. So um, that, I suppose that's the that's that'd be the thing that mm. that comes to mind. Yeah, and I think getting more and more um, involved in um, climate justice efforts is something that um, that appeals and that I'd like to work harder at. And that, that would be the second second one, I think. Well, two big two big areas there. Then. <laughs> two pretty big areas. <laughs> no, yeah. which is fa fabulous. <laughs> you know, meaningful areas. And you know, I, again, what's really lovely for me hearing your story, and you know, I hope again individuals listening and reflect on is the pathway that you've gone from a real you know working as a, a, a determined and a passionate and a you know a persevering kind of young professional sports person right the way through to running your business and looking at the difference you can make in the world but also how you've flipped it in some ways to recognizing all the impact that you had in the experiences and how you can then help others with it you know and I just think it's a lovely hearing different stories as to you know could you have ever sat down and written the journey? Well, I don't know that you could, would you? It's kind of, it, it's been an organic, um, you know, fluid kind of journey by the sound of it. Mm. Mm. Very fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the, we are really lucky in the True Athlete Project in that the people who sort of instinctively get what we're about are just these amazing individuals, not just amazing athletes, but incredible human beings. And so we have developed and sort of built this team who you know helping um, our sort of core team co-design um, different projects and materials and um, so it's yeah it's again just this very sort of uplifting sustaining project to be part of at a personal level um, so I'm incredibly grateful to just everyone who's volunteered their time and been part of, of, of growing um, and, and helping us in this mission. Brilliant. Well, long may the mission continue. In, in terms of just coming back to yourself here, Sam, for me, you've also given out a real sense of growth and learning along the way. You know, you've, you've evolved through, through your, your, your professional tennis career, but also as a, as a business owner and, you know, the, the journey's switched and changed and turned and all over. But there's obviously a huge amount of growth. And you, you mentioned there about taking on new ideas and taking risks and learning through them and growing. You know, are, are there any any kind of resources or places that have really supported your growth and development that you could point people to, whether it be books or resources or, you know, how, how do you develop yourself other than have a go? Yeah. Um, so I particularly find um, teachers that I like and that I can kind of challenge and question and kind of build those comfortable relationships. I think that's really important. So my mindfulness teacher, for example, is just incredibly wise. And so I make sure that I have time with him. So um, I think taking that step of figuring out who can help you and making time to approach them, I think is a big thing. So actually writing to people, people like to be asked questions um, generally, especially if it's about what they're passionate about and good at and have some you know their, their careers built on it so that was something I did a lot of growing up was just like writing to strangers and okay. famous people and um so I think that's that's one thing um recently I've been getting into <laughs> uh I find it really hard to sleep I put on uh 
put on these debates, philosophical debates, like Jordan Peterson versus Sam Harris is a great <laughs> one. Uh, they did like a four part series and um, really nice to, to listen to people with different views who are not just saying it because they want to be different, but who are actually trying to sort of be thoughtful and then, and then hear that. So I like listening to arguments. Um, uh, TED Talks, of course. Um, there's a fantastic book, which you know all about, The Long Win, which has been pretty fundamental to, to um, my thinking and to lots of um, people that, that Dr. Kath Bishop, the author, knows their thinking. It's a, it's a really powerful um, powerful book that I recommend. Um, yeah, so I think just, just trying to explore and not get too attached to ideas probably the thing that speaks to your previous question around kind of being fluid i think it's you know we again we kind of build up these um ideas of who are to be listened to or who's not to be listened to just based on stuff that is sort of um a bit of an illusion really so i think being very very open and realizing that you can learn in lots of different ways through conversations with the person that you see on the street and um that would be my take. Yeah, Le learning from everywhere, you know, just picking up the opportunities, isn't it, by the sounds of it, and being mm -hmm. being open to them. It's kind of what I'm hearing. There's so many different uh, avenues and opportunities there, which, you know, you, you can grab them, can't you? Listening to podcasts, listening to people speak, you know. Somebody once in a previous podcast talked about, actually, they went in to get their, their car tyre changed in a, and they picked up to, uh, one of the magazines there, and they learned loads from just reading one of the magazines in the most unlikely place, you know, at the most unlikely time, but it was just being open to it, you know. Yeah, that. yeah. I find it quite difficult to read. I get so many ideas so quickly that it's not a very relaxing pursuit for me. So, um, and actually listening to podcasts on the topic that I'm really passionate about, I actually find that quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So what I tried to do recently, I've tried to listen to completely sort of random things and see what I can learn from those. So I listened to one about the history of radiators in New York and it was great actually. And actually had a really kind of relaxing effect because yeah. um, you know, my mind was like personally referenced earlier, my mind was occupied on, uh, on um, something that was a little bit different. And, and then you can, um, it, it, that really helps you kind of bring creativity to what you do um, Anyway, and I, that was actually something that we encourage with with kids in sport. You know, take the take the um, uh, sort of driven, determined, tenacious bit of you when you play football, and try to integrate that into when you're playing tennis. Or take the poise when you're um, doing your ballet class and try to incorporate that. So I think that's the uh, approach that works can work really well for athletes as well as um, people in business. It's lovely. And, and as you're talking, I, I, I recall uh, picking up something just yesterday around the idea of solitude and the importance of actually finding space to allow your, your mind to be quiet, especially in this given age where there is so much stuff, isn't there, you know, information overload. And if we don't find time to just quieten the mind, and I, I guess this plays quite a lot to your kind of the mindfulness um, principles, but it's about actually also just allowing yourself to make sense of things, you know, and solitude is mm. not about locking yourself away from the world but just allowing yourself to just consolidate mm. and reflect and so on which i think is getting a real good balance yeah absolutely um we do i do a workshop to athletes on um equanimity 
So the ability to be sort of composed in the midst of difficulty. And we talk about how that equanimity um, sometimes sort of masquerades as indifference. So as if you're detached, but actually it's this being completely with what's happening Mm. um, in a really skillful way. Um, So, yeah, I think the, the being able to be still, being able to be calm are things that are pretty tough in this age that we're in of you know scrolling through social media feeds and having the inbox you know going off the wall and yeah so I think um and that that's why actually our mindfulness classes are quite quick in the effects I think so kids athletes feel the work very quickly you know within 30 seconds it's like oh wow sort of washing over them like okay so there's this that I could access anytime nice (laughs) um yeah. yeah so that's it's a it's a very important thing especially when we're so saturated with advice as well about for example mental well-being you, know, you, you scroll through a social media feed maybe it's just because of what we follow but it's kind of everywhere and um it's all very well sort of reading about things and looking at infographics but um the practice of slowing down and being and having a, a gentle and slower conversation and um, they're all very valuable. Wow. Well, that leads me on to you, I guess, in some ways of a uh, sense of, you know, we, we've talked about there are lots of principles about preparing ourselves to be, do I dare say, a good version of ourselves or the best we can be and that sort of idea. So, you know, Sam, how do you prepare yourself mentally and physically? I know you've talked a lot about the, the mindfulness programs that you run, but what do you do? Yeah. Um, so I have become better at this. I get more sleep now not just the night before but sort of two three four days leading up to something um i need a lot of my own time which i I didn't realize just quite how much me time i needed um to really perform well um sometimes that's you know in in the when you're an athlete growing up that can be quite difficult to find you know you've got to get in the car and you've got to then have a meal with people whatever so um being a little bit more yeah I I guess I've become more aware of that um I tend to do something pretty physical like just before whatever the the thing I need to do is the performance so um whether it's yeah walking or running or whether it's even just a a five second pretend shout in the mirror with a a fist pump and (laughs) that little bit of sort of surge um so yeah I guess I'm uh, a lot of those things from being a tennis player probably have have carried through through yeah yeah I get really nervous um so mindfulness has been helpful for that again it's stuff that I, I sort of wish that um I'd been exposed to earlier on um, which is all part of this project, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're using it to the benefit now, though, aren't you, by sharing it and practicing yeah. it, I guess. And and I yeah. do like the connection you make there between, you know, you're now practicing these same principles as a business leader here, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And being, I think, being upbeat, um, you know, the sort of mix of having a, a growth mindset, so looking for the opportunities in things, but at the same time being quite... Um, uh, acceptance base using a, a mindfulness sort of lens um, to really be forgiving and to realize that there are chances to begin again and that's not um, that's not just giving yourself a free pass I think that can be quite a hard concept 
for people. So um, yeah, all of all of these influences are, um, and different sort of practices that we're exploring through the Jurassic Project are definitely helping me and my own kind of ability to turn up each day and um, hopefully be a, a positive force for people around me. Brilliant stuff. Sam, you also mentioned earlier on in our conversation, which is, you know, leading me to my kind of last couple of questions here, but is about the impact your father played in the early part of your career. I, I sometimes think this is a bit of an unfair question because, you know, we go on a journey, lots of people impact on us, I, I, for sure. But are there any standout people or situations which you've gone, wow, that, that's been really pivotal in, in who I am today and, and made a massive difference in helping me take one or another direction? It's felt like a very, very gradual, organic process of reflection, to be honest, as sort yeah. of just being conscious, just being just kind of turning up and trying my best and trying to be creative and trying to be open minded. Um, I think it's really hard to pinpoint yeah. moments. Um, yeah, the, the work I did with the sort of at risk Hispanic um, first and second generation immigrant kids was that was a quite a pivotal little phase in my life I think um and a really special maybe yeah that was probably the the first time where I was maybe maybe enjoyed being part of a team actually not really right. thought about it like that but that was yeah I guess that was my first sort of selfless sporting you know it wasn't about me competing yeah. it was very much about trying to help this team of kids and it was very much like a sort of um, cliche Disney movie in terms of our like sort of uh, rags to riches story right. in in what we did in the league. You know, we were sort of complete underdogs and eventually won the championship. And um, and so that was quite quite a cool memory to be able to to have and a sort of sweltering uh, Georgian day in the States on this very dodgy pitch and, and winning, <laughs> winning on a penalty shootout and uh <laughs> so that was you couldn't have made was, it up couldn't you <laughs> no yeah so that, yeah that was certainly um a moment that was inspirational to to be able to keep going I think a lot of it is like just these these moments that happen the conversations yeah. with people and um I remember a kid he was so incredibly physically talented this just amazing little athlete at the school where I was the head of sport and um uh and we finished and he had, he had some pretty significant difficulties at home, not to go into them, but I mean, yeah. really um, pretty unbelievable stuff that had happened. Um, and, and we finished the session and the rest of his class went in and he just kind of sat on the step and the teacher had, you know, his class teacher had led through the rest of the class and the door closed and I was just there and he just sat and was quiet. And I sat next to him and I asked a couple of questions and nothing was coming back at all. And eventually I just sort of put my arm around him on his shoulder and we just sat there and we just sat and he kind of put his head into me and we sat and eventually he got up and he left. And it was like just this incredibly sort of amazing moment where it was just yeah. um, trying to be there for someone in the way they needed. And that isn't always just fixing stuff. It's just sitting yeah. with being there. Um, so there are moments like that, I think. Um, there was also one just to share um, at, a, at a camp, training camp recently, where um, 
we were doing a, a it, it can be quite a difficult thing to give mindfulness to people because it's quite weird so for example we've got these sparring camps that sparring training camps uh, with yeah. british fencing that i go and deliver at and you know people have come to fight each other and it's quite loud and there's a lot going on and there's quite a lot of setup time anyway so when they come to do a mindfulness class it feels like quite a lot of pressure to yeah. <laughs> do something quite dynamic or interesting yeah. or and a lot of the practice is about being patient and slow and Anyway, we were doing this body scan at the end of the day and um, I noticed a kid being pretty sort of, you know, like talking and trying to bring a couple of other people in. And then through the weekend, I was noticing the same pattern and trying to kind of be a bit cheeky at the back of the class and bring people. And I was getting sort of more and more frustrated and actually not <laughs> handling it very mindfully. I mean, in the moment it was okay, but I was sort of asking other coaches like, what's going on? Like, this is, yeah. this is pretty frustrating. And so I was then sitting in the, in the sort of, cafe area and saw this kid walking toward me and I thought well usually uh, if you just build a little bit of a relationship that's the the best thing to do yeah. and so I just said he came to get his water bottle or something on the table and I just said hey how, how you doing and suddenly like opened up about how the practices have changed his life how he, oh, the wow. reason he comes to camps is to do these practices and he's been trying and he had questions about how to integrate it and um all this really kind of genuine stuff about difficulties he'd faced and it was just this amazingly like sort of just a wake-up moment for me in terms of not judging a book by its That's cover I guess <laughs> yes. and being able to you know embody mindfulness through difficulty because you don't know what someone is necessarily thinking or feeling and um so I think it's it's those type of um surprises that that come up that are um yeah, and being open to them though isn't it as well and hearing them and seeing them when they come because you know yeah. I, I, the, the one of the things that came to me as you were talking there is that, you know sometimes it's, it's you know it's not, it's not always what you say it might be what you do you know by just putting your arm around it sometimes that you might never know or you might not know until six months later or a year later isn't it it's I guess still bringing the best of you to that which is fabulous and how that's you know and I guess conversely how that's probably happened to you isn't it you know because you've had an impact on those people's lives those will have happened to us along the journey as well, won't they? Those small moments. Absolutely, absolutely. And Sam, yeah. what what about the journey you've been on? And you you, you know you've clearly reflected on it uh, and a very you know work hard in being conscious in your journey. You know, would you give any advice now to a, a younger version of yourself? You know, looking back, what what two or three little tips, if any, would you maybe say to yourself if you were back at that sort of early teenage years, for instance? um probably to be uh less annoyed with the people who weren't trying to change things i think i had so i think in some ways the anger was good like i was pretty frustrated by just society generally yeah. i think that was quite motivating but i think um learning that people are coming from a good place generally yeah. And if they're not coming from a good place, that that's where you need extra sympathy and extra care and extra thought, as opposed to less sympathy yeah. and care and thought. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably yeah. being a little. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult to to. Um, I don't. I don't think I have regrets around it, but I think that would probably be the bit yeah. that maybe would also ease me through. Yeah at that time i think if i'd have thought that people around me you know maybe i was having difficulty with um 
that they were actually coming from a decent place yeah um that probably would have helped me yeah mm. Yeah, or, or uh, the bit I hear is you know that they're not coming from a bad place. They might have come from a place of not knowing, maybe, or something like mm. that. Yeah, 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 not knowing. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Now, really pow powerful stuff, and then you know, and then we can our energy might be different back then, you know. But it's it's hindsight stuff, isn't it? Mm. It's just uh, it's lovely though. Um, and my final question would really be, you know, you've, I've been kind of transfixed on your journey here and how we've gone up and down and where we've gone and the kind of work that you're doing. And, you know, you, you've clearly given a huge part of yourself out to, to myself and to those listening in. And is there anybody's sports story or journey out there which you would be curious to find out a bit more about, you know, as a, a future potential guest on, on the podcast? So when I was looking at, uh, thinking about that earlier, I um, I suddenly thought, and I don't think, uh, I don't know how, how much people would want to listen, but um, oh, I would certainly want my dad to do one. I was, yeah. I was thinking how little I actually um, know of what you asked earlier around his development into that sort of Zen type of teaching tennis. And um, so that would be a cool one. So maybe I can take that up personally by... Um, uh, by asking some more intentional questions uh, next time I see him. But I, I think some of the um, uh, some of the mentees on our global mentoring project, our global mentoring program, are um, very inspirational already at a young age. So, um, uh, so I'd like to. I'm, sometimes I'm quite jealous of the mentors for you know they they get <laughs> these incredible sort of year long. Um, uh, partnerships that that build up um with these fantastic young people who are already out in the world doing amazing things so um there's, there'd, there'd be a good cohort there uh, for you in the future <laughs> well do you know what sam I, I, th those two points are, are absolutely amazing what you've just said there because for me i think the the idea of of looking and understanding the impact of our our childhood and parents and so on is a fascinating one and I think we can only get greater value from that so I really love the idea of of, of you know speaking to your, your father about that sort of thing and you know what, what I would always love on the on the podcast at some level is to ha actually have you know um, a, a father and child kind of idea so we could have a, a three-way conversation so we could have that conversation you know I, I just think that would be an amazing kind of dynamic so um, great idea uh, and, and also, you know, the idea of the, the mentor relationship with the athletes is, I guess, is the principle of, of the podcast as well, because I feel really fortunate about hearing your story and being part of that journey, you know, and, and I'm, I'm looking the job that I do about going out and coaching and mentoring many other people. And I think that's what's driven me is that I think we've all got such amazing stories that will impact on different people in different ways. So I think the principle of what you've just raised there is is fundamentally uh, and underpins what what this is all about as well. So so thank you for that. Uh, and I, and I think we're on the same page because I think we can all help other people the more we can kind of share those journeys. Yeah, absolutely. And a, a specific person as well is um, uh, Lawrence Halstead, who's the the director of that mentoring program. Okay. So um, has played a, a fundamental role in in growing the Chirathi project and developing the philosophy and um he has a, a book coming out this summer so he would be a, a wonderful person to get his take on and also has a a both his parents were olympians so also has a great oh, wow. uh parent son sort of sporting uh, <laughs> dynamic, <laughs> dynamic yeah. to, to talk about yeah great stuff
Well, Sam, look, you've, you've, you've mentioned the True Athlete Project, all your work. Um, you know, how might anybody be interested in finding out a bit more, make sort of contact with you or, or drop you a note? Is there any sort of websites or social medias that they could connect with you on? Yeah, so our website is www.thetrueathleteproject.org. Thetrueathleteproject.org. Uh, you can write to me, Sam at thetrueathleteproject.org. Um, and our Twitter handle is at trueathleteproj. Uh, so it'd be great if anyone wanted to reach out and make contact, and uh, we'd, we'd really love that. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks well, it just leaves me to say, you know, a huge thanks once again. You know, I've really been blown away by your your thoughtfulness and your honesty and your openness. And, you know, I hope the speed and the pace has been really uh, kind of authentic and true to us, actually, which is um, important to me. But also, you know, it, it's come across from you in bucket loads. So we're really good luck with the project uh, i've just got a funny feeling we'll be in contact a bit more as we go forward given the, the kind of the the journeys that the true athlete projects on and, and if we can help at the sports stories um and through the and through the podcast or some of the other developmental resources that we're providing then we'd be delighted because it is all about ultimately trying to make a difference thank you so much thank you for everything you do yeah i can't wait to work together more thanks sam So there we have it, the uh, story of Sam Parfit, uh, I guess you could say from uh, a young tennis player being coached by his father the right the way through to being a business uh, founder and CEO um, of the True Athlete Project. And what an amazing project it is as well. The whole conversation for me was enthralling, uh, quite meditative in its style and approach, uh, which is a real true reflection of the speed and the pace and the qualities that Sam brings into the work that he does. It's really made me reflect on the uh, types of communities that he's worked with and the impact that that's had, stemmed from some of the introduction to the sporting world and the, uh, the principles that he, he picked up from his father. And, and I really love the idea that he's still got so much to uh, further explore and understand from um, the impact his father had on him. But taking that right the way through to uh, a real purposeful, meaningful approach to the work that he does and recognizing the power of sport as a vehicle for change really and, and not just a vehicle for change but really making uh, communities and individuals lives so much better um, so plenty of messages going through there uh, and, and on a real specific note around the the work that Sam did recognizing the uh, the highs and the lows of his career and the self-awareness that he picked up from that and how that's really informed both the work that he does but also um, how he does it and the journey that he's gone on. And um, I, I really have a, a huge sense of curiosity in terms of actually this is only the start of the True Athlete Project and the work that Sam's doing both in the UK and America, but probably even more so around the world. So as usual, this would lead me on to posing a couple of questions or in this case, three questions. Sam talked quite a lot about mindfulness. Uh, and the question I'd like to pose to you is, what do you need to do to slow yourself down and to be a bit more mindful about yourself in terms of how you carry yourself, what you do in order to perform at a level that you would hope and actually add further value. So really considering about how we could bring mindfulness and mindfulness practices and approaches into the work that you do and how you live your life. The second question, how can you be more forgiving of yourself? And Sam mentioned that about being quite a difficult concept, but being forgiving of yourself without giving yourself a free pass and not making any excuses, especially in things that may not have worked out or currently do not work for you. 
So the concept of really getting off your own back and allowing you to move forward, but also taking a real purposeful and realistic view of the world. And the third one, which is a bit of a bonus question, would be about how much do you know about your mother or your father's story and how they impact on you? And that again resonates back to that question Sam said about he would really like to further explore uh, the Zen proverbs and so on that his father brought in and understanding his father's story because that would actually create greater awareness of the work that he does. Now, again, I raise big questions because I'm really conscious and keen for the, the podcasts to be both entertaining, but also really uh, purposeful in the sense of actually asking yourself a question to help you develop. They might ask questions you're not sure of what the answer is, or they might post things for you to go away and consider. But if we consider these and then take this insight from the podcast into action, then we're likely to reap those rewards. So I do hope you consider the questions, whether you jot them down, you know, consider them on a walk, uh, record them into uh, a phone or wherever you do your reflections. But I really encourage you to, uh, to take stock and, and think about how these might be able to further impact on you. Uh, and as always, please, you know, the feedback we get is, is phenomenal and it really keeps me driving forward. And I don't know if you've noticed on the social media platforms over the last few days or so, but this is the anniversary of the Sports Stories podcast and the feedback and the comments and the, the difference this has made to many people and the, the, uh, the positive strokes that have been fed back to me in terms of actually what the, the podcast is doing and the diversity and the, uh, the audience and how the guests are coming forward and opening up has just been amazing. So please keep your comments, your feedback uh, and any ideas that you have going forward. Um, please keep them coming. The place you can do so is again on the usual social media platforms, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, on Facebook, uh, but also look on uh, on the website, which is www.sportstories247.com. It's a new website, so please go there. There's loads of great resources will become available. Um, I'm really proud of the, the, the book list that we've got there. So we've got a book, uh, book club going on. So there's loads of great resources which have been uh, shared by all of the guests uh, and uh, they cause great inspiration. So there's something there for everybody. Uh, and as always, it leaves me just to finish off by thanking Sam for being a great guest uh, on this particular show. You know, this is part of series five. We, we're heading on, we've got some great guests coming up, but without the guests and without the insights and the, the variety and variation that people bring, then the podcast wouldn't be as it is. So thanks Sam for today. Uh, and also thank you for listening in. Uh, as again, without you listening and engaging and offering your feedback and showing the difference this is making to you, um, it wouldn't be quite the same. So thanks again for taking the time to engage. And lastly, you know, please do look out for uh, the programs that are coming live pretty shortly. I'm launching the Maximize Your Coaching and Leadership Impact Program. It, it hopefully will give great inspiration. It's based off a lot of the feedback we've got through the podcasts. Um, but also looking to truly help you move forward and make a difference in your life. It's an online program, so uh, look out for further details to engage in, in the launch of the Maximizing Your Coaching and Leadership Impact, which for me is uh, something that can absolutely make a difference to you both at home and at work uh, and make a real difference to leading a sort of a healthier, happier and more uh, successful life, really. Uh, and to support that also, there will be further news coming coming forward around the, the coaching and mentoring offer that we will provide. So again, have a look on the website, www.sportstories247.com. And all that leaves me to say is have a great week. Uh, enjoy yourself, make a difference where you can, consider the questions, uh, but also give yourself some time to invest in yourself. 
uh, and I look forward to you joining me, uh, as I say, Dave Levine, next week uh, for another great guest. So take care and I'll see you again soon.